Exodus chapter 19. No pressure, right, Andrew? No pressure. I remember one time uh, I played Little League Baseball, and most of the time I played uh, infield, but for some reason the coach had me pitching in the first three innings of the game. For some reason I hit the hole, and I was just striking out. Of course, in in Little League it's probably easier to do, but I just I struck out a bunch of players in those first three, a bunch of batters in those first three innings. And then my dad got there in the fourth inning. And I saw my dad sitting up in the stands and everything unraveled. Uh, the umpire had to come out and tell me to quit digging a hole in front of the mound because I was just nervously scuffing. He came out and he said, you quit that or I'm going to uh, make you sit down. <laughs> Anyways, you're going to dig clear to China right there. But anyway, I just unraveled uh, when dad showed up. But anyway, Exodus chapter 19 in uh, your Bibles this evening. Let me get things up and going here. Are we off so I can transition, guys? All right, good. We ready? Exodus chapter 19. One of the things I love about these first six verses in chapter number 19 is it really gives us a synopsis of God's purpose for the book of Exodus in particular. And the theme uh, or double theme of the book of Exodus, along with uh, some things that are said in chapter number 12 as well. Uh, But as we look at the book of Exodus this evening, I want us to begin here in Exodus chapter 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. So the three months out of their exit or exodus out of Egypt. And so you can see the entire concept of the uh, that gives the book of the second book its title, its name, Exodus. Verse number two, for they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness. And there Israel camped before the mount and Moses went up unto God and the Lord called him out of the mountain saying, thus shalt ye say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and an holy, notice this, an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel." So God calls Moses up, he references bringing them out of Egypt, and really as you study the book of Exodus, numerous times in Exodus, you'll find that the Lord will lay as a basis for what he expects of the nation of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt, I brought you out of Egypt, and because I brought you out of Egypt, I'm the Lord that brought you out of Egypt, and because of that, this is what I expect, or this is what I'm saying to you, and you can see that, but then also the reference to their becoming a nation, of people. And with those things in mind, and we'll talk about redemption here in just a moment, I would like for us to consider this book tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. I pray that as we look into the scriptures, and in particular the book of Exodus, and its unique place in uh, the 66 books of the Bible, I pray that our love for your word, our appreciation, our trust in your word would be deepened. Uh, And as well, Lord, that our hearts would be stirred fresh and new about the work of redemption that you have done through power and through blood 
uh, in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel and the picture that that is for the work of redemption uh, that you have done for the New Testament believer as well. Now, God, we need your help, and we pray in our time that the Spirit of God would have complete control in our listening, in what I say, and in all the thoughts of our heart as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Just a brief review here. The Pentateuch, remember from last week, the word Pentateuch means a bookcase of five. We gave a a simple uh, explanation to the purpose of each of the books. Genesis uh, teaches the foundation of all things and the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Judah are the five main Uh, patriarchs that are the focus of the book of Genesis from chapters 12 to 50. Exodus, we'll look at this evening, the formation of the nation of Israel. Leviticus, uh, the ceremonial, the civil, the criminal function, the corporate function of the nation of Israel as it relates to the priesthood and the worship as well. And we'll look at that next Wednesday night, Lord willing. Numbers uh, catalogs the failures of the nation of Israel. It's the historical catalog of their wandering in the wilderness And then Deuteronomy, the future of the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy meaning the second giving of the law. Moses uh, teaching a second time the law to that second generation after the first generation had died off in the wilderness. So the Pentateuch, the bookcase of five, that's got me to thinking about a conversation I had with my brother this week. I'm fascinated by unique bookcases, okay? Uh, this one here, this one is strictly utilitarian. There's nothing aesthetic about this one. Uh, but you can notice there somebody was needing to save some space, and so they got three different bookcases that all plug into that cabinet. Uh, I was, my brother Levi said he's going to build one, and I said, more power to you. I, but you lose the aesthetic value of the books. Now, that being said, someone sent me this picture this week. What do you think of that? Uh, This library was discovered in a single-family dwelling in Germany uh, this past year. Its owner, an 88-year-old engineer, uh, passed away June of last year and had personally in his lifetime accumulated a library of 70,000 volumes. You think 70,000 is big. Guinness Book of World Records, the two largest libraries in the world, are housed in, of all places, Indiana, And these two guys apparently are competing, and both of them hover around a personal library of 1.5 million books, okay? I have no idea where they uh, store all of that, but when you think about bookcases, look at what this guy's done. He's put them on the roof, up on the ceiling. Uh, Somebody tallied with the average weight of books that this library is the equivalent weight of 15 standard-sized modern cars, I want to know, if he's an engineer, he must be really good to figure out that this framework of this house will hold this. But anyway, uh, Genesis, just review from last week. The book of beginnings, uh, that's what the word means in the beginning. Chapters 1 to 11, the foundation of all things. Just a brief review and help me with this. What are some of the major things uh, that, that are crucial to the rest of Bible history, redemptive history that we're introduced to Uh, in those first 11 chapters of Genesis. And we're saying this because there are those that say, well, the first 11 chapters don't matter. They can be mythical or representative. You don't have to take them literally. And if that is the perspective a person has, you undermine the rest of the Bible. Okay, so what are are some things in these first 11 chapters that are crucial, foundational to our understanding the rest of time and the rest of Scripture? Just give me some... Creation. Creation, okay. What else? What happened right after Creation. Okay, creation of man, the fall. What about uh, something else, something else? 
Say it again. Worldwide flood. Human history begins. The origin of all the nations. You want to know where all the nations and the languages, the ethnics, the ethnicities of our world came from. You go to Genesis 1 through 11, okay? What else? Can anybody think of anything else, Genesis? The Messiah, the first prediction of the Messiah. Institution of the family and marriage. Jesus, in teaching on marriage and divorce, harked back. From the beginning, it was not so, he said. Uh, so, you know, listen, if, if, you, if you undermine those 11 chapters, those first 11 chapters, you undermine the integrity of the rest of the book. You undermine the integrity of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ referenced and spoke of and believed those first 11 chapters to be literal historical. So, the beginning of all things, the foundation of all things, and then chapters 12 to 50, the fathers of the nation of Israel. We mentioned those five men. Now we come to the book Exodus. Exodus is... Uh, uh, Latinized, anglicized version of the Greek word, uh, which means the way out. You can see the ex, the prefix there at the beginning, means out of, and adas uh, comes from the Greek word, which means the way or the road. It's the way out, the road out. And you can see how that title, that name, uh, fits well with the theme of the book of Exodus because the main theme of the book of Exodus is the way out or the leading out of the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, just a little bit here on the time frame of the Exodus so you can see where it fits in uh, Bible chronology. Uh, I, I'm going to give it the date 1446. That's the accepted date according to conservative chronology. And remember B.C. Uh, started at 4,000 with creation and counts down to zero and then A.D. counts up. And that's the way the calendar works. So 1446 B.C., uh, look, if you would, keep your hand there in Exodus and look at 1 Kings chapter number 6 and verse number 1. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse number 1. Now, I've got a point in this, okay? You're saying, Pastor, dates and dead men. <laughs> dates and dead men. My kids tease me sometimes when we're out because I want to go find a cemetery where some famous preacher or somebody's buried. And they're like, great, another graveyard. Here we go. But let me tell you something that's important about dates and dead men and the biblical record about their lives is to understand that it fits together and it helps to further demonstrate the integrity of the Bible. Okay? So that's the point I want you to notice here this evening. Now, when we think about the kings of Judah, okay, we think about Saul. We've often called him the first king. He was man's choice. David was God's choice. Solomon, David's son. Those are clearly undeniable dates when it comes to Bible chronology, when it comes to secular chronology, okay? Saul's reign began in 1050 B.C., and each of those three men reigned for 40 years, okay? I'm building a case here, and I want you to see this. Each of those men reigned for 40 years. So Saul reigned from 1050 to, if you subtract 40 years, what year? 1010, okay? 1050 to 1010. David then became king 1010, he reigned for 40 years. That would take you from 1010 down to 970. Solomon reigned from 970 to 940 years, 930, okay? So, 970 is Solomon's first year of reign, and that's undisputable history chronology, okay? And we're pinpointing the surest, and then this helps us to date other things. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse number 1. And it came to pass... In the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month Ziph, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. So, 
If Solomon began to reign 970, what would be the fourth year of his reign? 966. Now, if you want the date of the Exodus, okay, notice what happened. It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel will come out of Egypt. 966 is the fourth year. Somebody got your phone with a calculator on it? Somebody got your phone with a calculator? Somebody pull it out. You want to do this for me? Okay, 966 plus 480. 1446, okay. So 966, you had 480 years, 1446. And so we've built a solid chronology. Now, that being said, go to Exodus, back to the book of Exodus. Back to the book of Exodus. You didn't know you were going to have to do math tonight at church, did you? Exodus chapter 12. Again, the purpose in all of this is to demonstrate the integrity of the Bible in every detail. Exodus chapter 12, and notice if you would, verse number 40. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the same self, self same day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So... 1446 is the exodus, and the children of Israel, according to this passage of Scripture, were in Egypt how many years? 430. So, add 430 to 1446. 1876. That gives you the date that Jacob came with the sons into Egypt. And it also then ties you into the chronology of Isaac and Abraham all the way back into the book of Genesis. So, but it all starts on what seems to be an incidental mention of a date in 1 Kings chapter number 6. Now, I'm going to leave that right there, okay? But know this. There were four centuries between the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of the book of Exodus. It was interesting to me to think about the fact that that's approximately the same period of time between the book of Malachi and Matthew, Okay? And uh, sometimes you look at this book and you fa- if we're not careful, we fail to realize that there were significant time gaps in between uh, some of these events that were recorded. So four centuries between Genesis and Exodus. Here's another thing that's important. How many of you have read the first chapter of Exodus before and you get to that point that uh, the hard bondage came and the Bible says that there was a Pharaoh that arose who knew not Joseph? And that's given as part of the explanation in the, early, in the first chapter of the book of Exodus as to one of the reasons why the children of Israel were experiencing such hard bondage. And you and I would sit here having just finished the book of Genesis and we might be tempted to think, how in the world could you forget Joseph? Even over several centuries, how could you forget a man that literally saved the nation? Two nations, Egypt and Israel, how could you forget And the explanation is, is in those 400 years, there were seven different dynasties of pharaohs. The 12th to the 18th dynasties of pharaohs, and a dynasty means more than one pharaoh. So there would be a family of pharaohs that would rule, and then one would conquer or pass off the scene, and another family of pharaohs for several generations would rule. And so when you have the transition of seven dynasties, there's a lot of history that's going to be lost. Uh, So, just kind of set in the background here. Another reference to the time frame of the Exodus, Judges chapter 11, verse number 26. I'll just mention this, put it here, and you can go back and read it. Jephthah is the judge. 
The Ammonites uh, first told Jephthah, give us the land back that you took from us when you all came out of Egypt. (laughs) And Jephthah makes a really good case. He said, you've had 300 years since we came out of Egypt. How come you hadn't taken it back since then? You've had all this time. And by the way, we didn't take it from you. God gave it to us. And we tried to pass by peaceably, but your kings 300 years ago came out against us and we defeated them. And so it was kind of a passive occupation in a sense because we were going to let you keep your land. We were just going to pass on by. But he gives an interesting time frame that helps further establish Bible chronology. So the time frame of the book of Exodus and then the twin theme of the book of Exodus, national formation through divine redemption. National formation through divine redemption. Look at Exodus chapter 12 in the first few verses. You may still be there. Exodus chapter 12. We've already read Exodus 19 where God says one of his purposes is to make a holy nation out of the people through bringing them out of Egypt. But notice the work that he's going to use to establish this nation. Verse number 12 in the Lord, or verse number 1 of chapter 12. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. It's the month of Beeb. It corresponds to our month April. Okay, Speak unto ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, and a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count, uh, make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. What ceremony is being instituted here? Passover, at the beginning of the year. Folks, don't let that slip by in your thinking. The foundation of the nation of Israel's history, their beginning was founded upon redemption at the Passover. What a lesson for you and for me when it comes to our own lives. Everything should be built on and growing out of the fact that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Everything growing out of that. And so here's this twin theme between Exodus chapter 12 and Exodus chapter 19. The national formation of Israel through divine redemption. Now here's a brief outline of the book of Exodus at a glance. First of all, Exodus chapters 1 to 18, essentially the first half of the book, uh, speaks of the exodus, the bringing out of the nation of Israel or out of Egypt, the nation of Israel, through redemption. Okay, God bringing back to himself his people through blood and through power. And we'll uh, expand on that here again in just a moment. Uh, Chapters 1 through 6 really gives us in some ways a history of Moses and the man God used to accomplish this work. And you think about the history of Moses that's given in those first six chapters. I like the outline that Dr. Comfort has given for so many years of the man Moses. He spent the first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the second 40 years learning he was nobody. And the last 40 years learning that he and God make a majority. What a great outline. And so Exodus 1 to 6 gives us tremendous biographical information and ministry information about Moses. 
But then the chapter 7 to 18, the method that God used to accomplish the work of the Exodus that's recorded in this great book. First of all, number one, he showed his power. Remember, he talked about a strong arm in the display of miracles, the power of God demonstrated in the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, God's provision of manna and water in the wilderness, and then the blessing of his personal presence. How did God accomplish this great work of the Exodus, bringing one nation completely out of another one? He did it through power, and he did it through blood. The blood of the Passover lamb. It's significant, just an important thought here as we think about the importance of redemption and blood. God told the nation of Israel on that night to slay a lamb and they were to take the hyssop and they were to paint the blood over the doorpost and the lintel of their house. And then they were to stay within the doors of that house. And that blood symbolized the covering or the protection that God would provide to those who by faith applied the blood. Now, this is significant. Listen, God killed the firstborn of Egypt. He did not spare Israel because of any good in them. A substitute was required. The shedding of the blood and the very fact that blood was shed and then symbolically placed to the doorposts and the lintel was a demonstration of the nation of Israel. God's not sparing you because you're anything special. All men are as guilty to die as any other. But it's only through the substitute death of another that any of us have the hope of salvation, have the hope of redemption. And so even in the shedding of the blood of that lamb and the symbolism of the substitute, it's a demonstration that there was nothing in a sense, nothing in and of themselves that was special as to why God chose Israel. God chose Israel because he loved Israel. And he chose Israel... Because of the work of the blood as well. Okay? So he could show his hands strong. The Exodus outline. So the first thing, Exodus through redemption, uh, chapters 1 to 18. And then the second half of the book, chapters 19 to 40, the establishment of the nation of Israel. And this is recorded in the second half of the book. Uh, several divisions of this, and as we break down some subpoints here, notice chapters 19 to 24. The giving of the law. Look at chapter number 20, if you would. Remember, God called Moses up into the mount, gave him the first giving of the law. The Bible tells us that with God's own finger, he wrote out the Decalogue, as we call it, carved out on stone. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 3, the first of the Ten Commandments. The first four, or what have commonly been called the first table of the law, refer to man's relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Verse number 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Verse number 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then the second table of the law, man's interpersonal relationships. Honor thy father and mother, verse 12. Verse number 13, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and so on. And then the remaining chapters in this section through chapter 24 is initial commentary and expansion of these first ten commandments. Okay? Then guidelines of the tabernacle and the Levitical priesthood. If you go to chapter number 25, you'll find that the focus changes and God begins to speak about the sanctuary 
where he will dwell in the presence of his people and then the priesthood that will act as mediators uh, in the Levitical ceremonial work. Notice verse number 8 of chapter 25. God tells Moses, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Look at verse number 22 in Exodus 25. And there I will meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. And as you continue reading through the rest of the book, you'll find that God gives a lot of instruction down to the details of the priest's garments, the construction material of the tabernacle, who of the three sons of Aaron are to carry what parts and responsible for what parts, a lot of detail. In the middle of it, chapters 32 to 34, is what I call a dreadful intermission, where Moses and Joshua and the elders are up on the mountain, and God tells Moses, get down. Get down to the bottom of the mountain. The people have corrupted themselves. And you remember, uh, we don't know what's happened to Moses. Where are the gods that brought us out of Egypt? And uh, so Aaron takes their gold and throws it in the fire. And as the story goes, according to his rendition, out came this calf. I almost want to say, how dumb do you think Moses is, Aaron? What in the world? And remember, it's also the time that uh, Joshua said, it sounds like the noise of war in the camp. And Moses said, no, it's this noise of those that are singing. The people have corrupted themselves. And an Old Testament principle that helps us to understand the difference in the sound when it even comes to music. Okay, all right. So that dreadful intermission. And yet even out of that dreadful intermission comes some tremendous passages of Scripture I think of the one where God tells Moses, he said, you know, and he's testing Moses' loyalty, Moses' faithfulness, Moses' trust. And he said, you know what, I'm just going to wipe all these people out. I'm going to make a new nation of you. And another point he said to him, he said, you know what, he goes, I'm just going to send my angel up with you. I'm not going to go. And you remember what Moses said? Moses said, if you go not up with us, carry us not up hence. And what a tremendous Old Testament passage that really describes for you and for me the kind of longing that we should have to live in the awareness of the presence of God. We cannot do without the power and the presence of God. And so even out of this dreadful intermission in chapters 25 to 40, Moses gives us some tremendous Uh, dialogue, if you would, and information as it relates to our need for the presence of God. And then another tremendous facet of this second half of the book is the glory of God's presence. And I've got a picture that we'll close with here in just a moment that is an artist's rendition of that, uh, the, the pillar of fire at night and what it was for those people to experience the glory of the Lord's presence And you can see several of the key passages there. Look, if you would, at Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And verse number 18. And he said, the Lord said, or Moses said to the Lord, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. What a request. Lord, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. 
And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I, while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And of course, talking about God the Father, but you know, as a New Testament saying, it moves me forward in my mind to the New Testament scriptures and the fact that in the face of Jesus Christ, he is the express image of God the Father. And that you and I as New Testament believers, we have a privilege and a blessing through Jesus Christ to experience the presence of God like Old Testament saints couldn't. And listen, many times, if we're not careful, we think, man, if we just lived back in those days, I'm telling you, I've just finished reading through the Pentateuch and I'm in some of the, the historical books that are dealing. I finished Second Kings today and I gotta tell you, <laughs> I'm not, I'm very content living where I'm living right now, okay? And having what we have. And so Exodus through redemption in the uh, establishment of the nation. Some highlights of the book of Exodus. Just think about it. You want to think about the significance of a single book, 40 chapters. The prophet Moses. The significance of that man, not just in the history of the nation of Israel, but the history of the world. The personal name of God and his power. Look at Exodus chapter number 3. Exodus chapter 3. And verse number 13. Exodus 3 and verse number 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. They shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. A name that he had not been known by, by his people to that point. And yet a name, Yahweh, which is a name that is built on the Hebrew verb of being, which speaks of our God as the eternally self-existent one who is the basis of all provision. Everything that has being comes out of him. And it's his personal name. The personal name of God and his power. And you think about the ten plagues. You think about the parting of the Red Sea. And one of the prophets, I believe it is, said that God parted the Red Sea with a blast of his nostrils. Just to sneeze is all it took for God to part the Red Sea. The Passover lamb and the Old Testament picture and the anticipation that that creates for the Lamb of God who would be slain once and that was all that was necessary. The provision of God from a rock and that rock, Paul would tell us, is Christ struck once is all that it was to be struck, and yet life-giving water would flow from it. And when Moses struck the rock the second time, it cost him his own entrance into the promised land. Why? Because he had damaged the picture. The rock only, the rock Christ only needed to be struck once for the life-giving water to flow. And then manna. Uh, I'm sure that they were happy that first day that they got into the promised land and the we're able to eat, as the Bible says, the old corn of the land. After, can you imagine, 38 years of manna? But it was God's provision. And it would be the basis for a picture in Genesis chapter, or John chapter number 6, the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life. The significance of a single book. The perfection of God's law. The priesthood. 
All of these, the basis for an anticipation of Christ, the place of worship, the Old Testament tabernacle, and that would then yield to the Old Testament temple. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ is the tabernacle, the one who tabernacled among us, the one that housed the presence of God. And we as New Testament believers are the priests, or the, pardon me, the temple as well. And so these pictures, all of them, you can find these New Testament understandings that we have go back to the book of Exodus and then the presence of the Lord. And so recap to this point. Genesis, the foundation of all things, and then the fathers of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, and Judah. And then the Exodus, the formation of that nation, the nation of Israel, through divine redemption. Their identity, everything built on the work of redemption. Everything goes back to that, and it's recorded here in the book of Exodus. Uh, This picture here really sums it all up, doesn't it? redeemed by God to reflect His glory. And let me just leave us tonight with that thought before we go to prayer. God redeemed you and He redeemed me to reflect His glory. And may God help us as we strive to do so. Father, thank You for this brief visit, walk through the book of Exodus this evening. And I pray, Lord, as New Testament believers and as we see all of the different uh, truths and doctrines that are so dear to us today, we see how in many ways they're founded in the pictures and the expectations of the book of Exodus. I pray that our appreciation for this second book of the Old Testament has been deepened, our understanding of the Scripture, our appreciation for its integrity, even as we look at dates. And, Father, that we would... Uh, Take things that we've heard tonight and we would understand that you redeemed us as New Testament saints uh, and want us to remember that we are not our own. We are bought with a price and therefore we are to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are yours. You've purchased us. You own us. We belong to you. So God, I pray that we would embrace this privilege and responsibility to reflect your glory as New Testament saints. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.